I invite you to pray with me this morning. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for gathering together in worship. We pray that we might hear the scriptures as they are read this morning, and that we might um, find our rest in you. Amen. This morning, prior to reading scriptures, I'm just going to invite Tim to play on the piano for a moment to center ourselves, or Daniel to play on the piano for a minute, to center ourselves so that we might um, really truly hear a word from God this morning with the spoken word. Tim continues to play, I invite you to hear these words from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 58, verses 12 through 14. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. If you refrain from trampling the Sabbath, from pursuing your own interests on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, serving your own interests, of pursuing your own affairs, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of your ancestor Jacob. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm just so thankful for the praise team and thank you for your leadership. This morning, we're continuing our sermon series on an altar in the world, following Barbara Brown Taylor's book. I I hope that if you have the book at home, that you're enjoying the book and you're finding it a meaningful way to help us engage. One of the images that I used at the beginning of the series is the image from the book of Proverbs, where uh, the writer, presumably uh, King Solomon, says that the lady wisdom speaks over the rooftops speaks over the rooftops and the busyness of our lives and calls out to us always and everywhere. And yet we just need to heed her voice speaking to us. 
that God is always willing and available to be speaking to us. God is always speaking to us and present, and we just need to listen and engage with God's voice versus the distractions that we put our attention to, and as the book of Proverbs describes them as lady folly. It's a beautiful image of what I think that for this series I would like us to have as our takeaway. An altar in the world doesn't have uh, significantly uh, different practices. It doesn't have these sort of rituals that wouldn't be part of our common day. In fact, it is common everyday activities that each one of us have in our lives, and they're available to us at all times. The challenge is whether or not we're willing to engage with the sacred. As the song that we've been using throughout the sermon series, everything is sacred. The other day we read the, out of the Colossians, the cosmic Christ, that God is all in all, that Christ is all in all, and Christ's presence is available always to us. Will we engage? I think that beautiful image of God being present in all of creation is a significant reminder for us. In fact, when we look back at the story of Genesis, one of the things that this morning we're going to be talking about is the sacred day of Sabbath. Did you know that in, in the depiction of the creation narrative, God makes everything and calls it good, but God makes the Sabbath day and calls it holy, to be set apart calls that day sacred. Abraham Heschel, who is a, a Jewish author, he writes of the Sabbath as the wholeness of life. That the Sabbath is the intent, God's intention for all of humanity and all of creation, which is to say that the sacred is found in everything through Sabbath. And I know that might not make a whole lot of sense. It's very theologically driven, but I think that at some level, that's kind of what we've been talking about. Because all of us get busy. All of us get distracted. All of us have something that's willing to take our attention away from the holy and towards something else, whether it be ourselves, our health, our doctor's appointments, our kids, all the extra tasks that we have to put ourselves to, our jobs. We have things that distract us from finding God. And it's not that those things that I just mentioned are unholy. It's just that they distract us from the truth that God's presence is available to us. So it makes sense that we find the sacred on Sabbath. Because Sabbath in its intention is supposed to be a day when we rest from our work. Actually, more importantly, it's not a day when we rest from our work, but a day when we rest for our work. I was just talking to um, one of the teachers at our preschool, and I, I was getting ready as I was picking up Stella, and I, I was saying, how, you know, like, how are you doing today? And she's like, well, it's almost Saturday. It's almost Saturday. And she made it through the week and she said she was tired and she was ready for the weekend. All the weekend, she just finds herself busy preparing for the next week. 
And I think that that sentiment kind of captured in, because I think so many of us, me included, find ourselves resting from our work, whatever that work might be, versus resting for our work. And it might, not, might seem like a, a subtle difference, but I think it mirrors God's intention for all of creation with Sabbath. See, because if we find our rests, and in that rest we engage with the holy, that sacred encounter fuels us to perhaps see all that we do as opportunities to engage the holy. If we just work, 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 and get distracted and get distracted, and then find one day where we set ourselves apart, we miss an opportunity to find God always, in all places. Sabbath enriches our lives. And I know for some of us, Sabbath is a a kind of a distant relic of the past. Or some of us who perhaps found ourselves in the south of the United States at some point in our life, Sabbath has more connotation with blue laws. The idea that things were closed on Sunday more, or on Sundays, then it became Sunday mornings, then it didn't become Sundays at all. But things were closed and you couldn't do different things. You couldn't prepare meals even on Sabbath, really. I mean, if you follow it to a T, what you could do, especially in some of the communities in the south, was very, very limited. And in fact, sometimes even boring to that matter. And it became more about following the rules of what you can and can't do on Sabbath than the spirit of finding God and God's presence on that day. I remember when I was in divinity school and then I moved on to work at a church in downtown Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I was uh, busier than ever. It was a large church and had a lot of different things to do. And just the culture of that community, which not too different from other cultures, uh, but was just very, very busy. And it was always a good thing to be busy. If you were bored, it was not looked highly upon. In fact, you know, kids were studying after school, so they'd get in the Ivy League school or get into the University of North Carolina. They were doing extracurricular activities. They were watching this and doing that, and they found themselves just always with this sort of fast-paced, no-rest society. And I remember that I was invited by a mentor of mine. Her name was Grace, um, and she was a pastor that had kind of recently kind of trying to move into a retirement phase of her life. Um, but she uh, started this um, thing called a life around the table. And, and what it was, was it, it was an opportunity to reflect with pastors on the true heart of Sabbath and of reconnecting to the land. So her and her husband were gifted with this beautiful property, um, just probably about 20 minutes outside of Chapel Hill, and they decided they were going to make it a respite for people, a Sabbath for people to experience. And so she got together a cohort of pastors, and we pastors would come on uh, one day out of the month, and we would come and we would join together in some time of prayer, and then we would find ourselves working in the gardens that she had or working with the animals that she brought, like the goats and the chickens. And we found ourselves doing the tasks, although none of us were, you know, farmers, so she was always teaching us about what to do. And then after that, we would eat lunch. And of course, something out of the lunch around the table
table would come from the garden, and oftentimes she would be like, I baked this with my son, and so we're going to have this as part of our sandwiches, and all of these things. And and it was just a, a fellowship time. We did a communion liturgy around the table. But the favorite, my favorite part about that day once a month was that after lunch, when we're a little sleepy from the food that we ate, we would have about two and a half hours of solitude. And she would say, I want you to rest. Don't read a book, unless that's restful. Definitely don't get a phone out or answer your calls. Take a walk. There's a bed upstairs you can go nap in, and it's got really comfortable pillows and a blanket. You can go sit by the pond that she had. You can go watch the animals. And I remember different days had different needs for me, but I remember one of them just sitting there and watching the clouds. Hadn't done that in years. And then slowly drifting away in some sleep and then waking myself up because I'm not supposed to be doing that, right? Because I'm supposed to be busy. And then drifting away again. And then it was a half an hour or so that had gone by of that. And then I decided that, okay, now I'm going to pray, right? And I fell asleep again. (laughs) And I said to myself, what is going on right now? I'm supposed to be praying. I'm supposed to be doing something. And I was given the soft, subtle reminder. Your rest can be your prayer. And amidst all of the anxiety that I felt from having to kind of do, 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 I found a moment of peace. I found God even as I dozed off to sleep. I know that many of us find ourselves in two different camps right now. Some of us who are staying at home without necessarily the same work that we've done in the past, without being able to come to church or do the various gatherings in other places, feel like, what can I be doing right now because there's nothing to do? Because the normalcy of life has been taken away from us during these past seven months. And then others of us are juggling now like five more balls than we ever thought we could imagine juggling, whether that's moving our entire curriculum to an online platform and then figuring out how to do tests for students when you no longer can proctor them while they're in front of you in the class, or whether that's now you're homeschooling your children because, you know, you're not able, or I should say distance learning with your children because the schools aren't in person, or whether that's your schools now look different, or whether that's Whatever ball you're juggling, it can feel overwhelming. And so for me to say to you, if you are at home without things to do, or for me to say to you, if you're at home with way too many on your plate, that God calls us to rest, you might chuckle to yourself inside a little bit. But I might argue that during this time, God is allowing us space to reconfigure, to recalibrate. In some way, shape, or form, I think that COVID-19 has given the church, us, the people, an opportunity to pause and to break so that when we come back together, perhaps 
we can learn more appropriately how we direct our attention to God. I've been talking with a number of people that are looking past the veil of COVID-19 and seeing their life now, and some of them have been rejuvenated during this time, whether it's they've been able to spend more time with their spouse, their family, and some of them have been saying, what do we do when life gets back to normal? And if that's you, I would say the practice of saying no will become more important and more needed than ever in the future. That when new opportunities come our way, we might say no so that we might find that sense of rejuvenation. Perhaps when new opportunities come this your way right now and you're juggling more than you feel like you can, the practice of saying no would be a holy practice for you so that you might find some rest. Our culture idolizes yes. In fact, I was thinking of the Jim Carrey movie when all he says was yes. I think it was yes man or something. He just says yes, yes, yes to everything and his life just gets better, but then it gets overwhelming for him. I spent some time in Japan and I I know I keep reflecting on that time throughout this series, but I can't help but think about the culture that rebuilt uh, their society after World War II, where everyone had to put themselves to long hours uh, to, to rebuild their country and their economy. And so it just was built within the DNA of their culture that working a lot, not necessarily more efficiently, was what it meant to be a good employee, a good worker. And I would sit there thinking to myself, okay, it's time to go. And all these teachers were sitting around their desks with their honkos, which is like a name for the stamps, and just stamping and grading their tests and just doing that. And they would stay there for hours and hours. And and finally, I asked them, why are you here? And, And they said, well, because that's what it means to be a good teacher, a good employee. I think we employ that too in our society where it's saying we got to do things faster, quicker, next best thing so that we can have more time for the extra things in our lives, whether it's hanging out with friends or whether it's going to the beach or whether it's participating in this club or whether it's doing that. And the idea that you would say no to establish a boundary for yourself and your family is often looked down upon, but I think it's needed more than ever. In fact, the prophet Isaiah speaks of the Sabbath as the hinge factor for what would keep the entire nation of Israel together. Finding the holy, sacred day so that they might find the holy and the sacred throughout their days. That Sabbath is so central to God's desire for our life that it takes up so much more room within the biblical narratives than almost all of the other topics that we find more important. God wants us to rest. I don't know what that rest is going to look like for you. And if you find yourself uneasy right now, That during COVID-19, you aren't able to do the things that you did. 
I want to share for a minute some words from a, a faithful Tongan member. His name is Sateki um, from Kilohana, where I was the pastor. He was here with us um, doing, some, uh, doing some work about um, trenching for an electrical problem we had up at Kelloway. And I was talking to Sateki about how he was doing without being able to gather and worship. I mean, he's a pillar of Kilohana United Methodist Church. And, and, and Sateki says to me, you know, I'm doing good. He goes, I've been worshiping my whole life, and it has. And Tongans don't worship for an hour. They worship for hours out of their day, and they spend time gathering together on the table on a regular basis throughout the week. And so he says, you know, we've been doing that our whole lives. One year is okay. We'll go back together. We've been worshiping together. We've been doing the things that we've built on upon our lives for years. And so now perhaps use this to strip away the anxiety of needing to do more and to rest and to find God's presence. And if you're busy and you're like me, like especially right now with, you know, managing everything, I invite you to say no to one thing. One extra trip to the beach. Rather than making that elaborate dinner for the week, use some leftovers. Look through your pantry to see what cans you can use. Say no to something. And in, in the small glimpse of time that you have, don't do anything. Just rest. Perhaps then spend five minutes in centering prayer. Perhaps take a nap. Just drink your coffee and let your mind wander for a minute. You know, sometimes we think that we need to meet God in these profound moments. God needs to speak with the booming voice to us. We need to have some insightful revelation from God of the scriptures that we read. Some takeaway that I can apply to my life. Take away the necessity to rest. And if you can, try to take a day. A Sabbath day. Don't fill it doesn't mean you can't go to the beach, get on the boat, do whatever it is that gives you life. But make it restful. Slow it down. And somewhere in the different pace than your everyday life, breathe in and breathe out. And know that you are breathing in the breath of life, the breath of God. And I hope that as we rest, it might give our souls and our bodies strength. That as we go throughout the hustle and the bustle of the streets, we might hear Lady Wisdom, God's voice, God's very presence in all that we do. By experiencing God's intention to rest with God on Sabbath, 
we might live out God's intention in the world, in our everyday lives. I invite you to pray with me. Holy Spirit, we pray your presence upon us that we might find our rest in you. Relieve us of the anxiety to do more. Relieve us of the anxiety of our to-do lists. And help us find our peace in the holiness of resting in your very presence. Amen.